Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So, I already alluded to it. We're going to go through, uh, we're going to take a journey through the book of Matthew. So, the series will just be called, you know, the book of Matthew. And uh, we haven't done a book series in some time. And Pastor Chris, Pastor Lauren, and me are going to do it together. So, we'll all be kind of giving you different flavors. Um, so, I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited where we get to go. Although, I have to be honest, when we were starting it and I saw I'm starting it with Matthew 1. If you've ever read Matthew 1, <laughs> you'll get a chance to hear it in a moment. But uh, it's a genealogy. So we're going to get lots out of that genealogy today. <laughs> no, kidding. You know what? This is something, as I was praying for it, I actually think there's a great message. The genealogy, this is the thing about gospel. What does gospel mean? Have you ever wondered that? The gospel means good news. And this is the good news as reported by Matthew. So Matthew is teaching us about the good news. And I think that's pretty exciting. And so one of the things that I, when, uh, when the, our teaching team, Lauren and Chris and myself were listening, we all got different pictures of treasure. And, uh, and the thing I got was these, I got, I don't know if you've ever watched Aladdin. Maybe that's a, a bad movie for some of you, and if not, whatever. I'll just kind of, you know, there's this picture there in the Cave of Wonders. Cave of Wonders? Oh, yeah, I'm getting Meg's, Meg's nodding. Cave of Wonders, mountains of treasure everywhere, right? It's beautiful, wonderful, especially if you're a pirate. But I got this picture of these mounds of treasure, and we were going in there, and I felt the Lord was saying, everywhere in my word, and this is an encouragement to you, uh, this is the, what the Lord is inviting us into. When we pray, Lord, grow us in passion for the word, sometimes we go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, he's not inviting you into, oh. He is inviting you into the spiritual cave of wonders, where there is treasure beyond your wildest imagination. It's treasure upon treasure upon treasure. And then he went in to say, and the application of that treasure is beyond what you could ever come up with on your own. Uh, I remember going through the book of John with our cell. It was one of my favorite uh, periods of our cell that we had together, and I love our cell. But my favorite thing that we've ever done is go through the book of John together, and every week everyone just shared we were sharing and praying for each other. That's all we did for a season. And we shared what we were getting. And it was like, we, as each person was reading it, and the Holy Spirit was ministering to them in the, same, in the same places we were all reading, it's like you got this six to eight dimensional view of what that book actually looks like. And it's, it's fun. So I hope you get the same out of Matthew. Um, so that's the plan. But we have a discipleship plan to go along with this because I'm going to kind of reference the end and then we're going to get to the end as well. But the end, Matthew, the good news... Like this is the first of four gospels. This is the good news that he's, he's wanting to proclaim to all of us. And at the end, we're actually all called to go and proclaim. That's the Great Commission, proclaim this good news to others. And so I actually believe each week there's going to be nuggets of good news for each one of us that are going to grab us by the heart and spur us on and move us forward. And I'm excited about that. Um, and seeing that a lot of cells are ending anyhow now during summer, which is totally normal. It's all good. Uh, some from Zoom fatigue, some just normal scheduling. I know of others that are still meeting, but I wanted, we, we wanted to, in this book of Matthew, we wanted to kind of give us some kind of discipleship target that isn't overwhelming, but it's also engaging our hearts and moving us forward because it's really important, church, that we don't take breaks from being God's servants in that sense. It's not that we don't ever rest. We do, but we don't take a break from God, right? We're, we're his servants entrusted with uh, his lives. So as we journey through, this is what we're going to be doing. So the journey through the book of Matthew, if you're going to go on a long journey, what are you going to need? A road map. And I didn't come up with this by myself. Actually, uh, we were talking about... Um, 
we were talking about the different things we wanted to do for application in our sermon series. And Chris Carr was talking memorization. I was saying, I want, I want there to be an application step and a prayer step. And uh, of course, Lorne is the one who came up with it. He's like, we're going to do a roadmap. We're, me and Chris Carr looking at him, roadmap, roadmap, map, memorization, application, prayer. We're like, that guy, he is like a freestyle, like dad joke, pun, like machine. He is like a machine. You can give him any topic and the guy will spin out pure gold. Anyhow, so uh, he's very valuable on that team. We learn a lot from him and he's wonderful. But anyhow, so this, that, that acronym was his idea. I thought it was brilliant, so we're going to use it. Uh, but this is, so as we journey through the book of Matthew together, there's a few things we're going to do, but our roadmap is going to help us through. So every week there's going to be a map challenge. And uh, this map challenge can be done in multiple ways. You can do it by yourself. I would encourage you to do it by yourself if you want. Uh, but if you've got kids, I already have two of my kids bribed uh, to do it with me. And yes, if you wonder, did he say bribed? Yeah, bribed. I always think of that verse, uh, use your wealth to gain, your unrighteous wealth to gain influence. So I'm all about that. Uh, use it that way. And sometimes I use it on myself that way. That's probably a misuse of that verse. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> anyways, you can do it with your family, do it with your kids, do it with your friends, do it with a neighbor, do it by yourself. However you want, I would encourage you to engage though because this is, it's just a couple of steps that we can take each week to help us grow in our faith and also grow towards the end, which is the Great Commission. One thing that I'm praying for regularly, regularly praying for it, it's all throughout my journal and you guys keep hearing about it and the staff keep hearing about it and you probably keep hearing about it too because I hear many of you asking about it, the Great Commission. The Great Commission, if all of, you know, if there's anything that comes out of all of the darkness we've seen over the last year and bit, is, has been the need for the Great Commission. Our world is in desperate need of a Savior. They need to hear the good news. There is good news in this book that our world needs to hear. And they're not going to hear it unless we're telling them about it. So I know that's overwhelming to many of us, and that's actually okay. MAP is going to help us take little baby steps throughout the book of Matthew as we build towards the Great Commission at the end. And I'm hoping in fall that we really begin to start growing. I'm praying that in our fall launch, we want to go take discipleship to a new level and really train all of you and us on how do we effectively make disciples and how can we do it? And what does it look like when you're a single mom compared to a senior, compared to someone who's married with 10 kids at home, to one kid, to empty nesters? To a high school student, yes, there is purpose for all of us in the Great Commission, and it may just look a little different. We're going to discover it as a church together. I'm excited. So, map, memorization. We're going to try to memorize one verse a week. Uh, by the time we're done, we should be able to memorize. If you can do one a week, you will have memorized the Beatitudes and the Great Commission, all coming out of Matthew. So that's 14 verses, I believe, and that gives you a couple of weeks off, I think. But, uh, but anyhow, you might say, that's way too much. I can't memorize that much. That's okay. You don't have to memorize. You don't even have to do it. Or you can memorize, start on one, take two weeks and get halfway through and just take longer. This is not a you have to. This is an invitation. Would you want to come with us on a journey as, you know, and use this roadmap as we go on a journey through the book of Matthew, the good news as reported by Matthew by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to memorize something every week, application. Uh, what are we doing for the application? One action step in reaching out or discipling others. So remember, gospel means good news. So there's two things actually that we're called to do. One is we're called to teach the good news. That's evangelize, right? We're, we're called to spread the good news. That's part of discipleship. But another part of discipleship is actually being a witness. 
And being a witness is a little bit different because when I'm a witness, I can witness in two primary ways. And I'm sure you can come up with other ways. But when I witness to someone, I'm either sharing my personal testimony, which is important, but I might be sharing what God is doing in my life. So that's one way that I can witness about who God is. And the other thing is I can demonstrate with actions what God is like. So I can demonstrate with acts of kindness. I can pay things forward. I can bring someone a coffee. I can text them an encouraging note. That's actually going to be our challenge at the end of the service uh, for today. It's going to start off light. But I can go and help someone rake their yard. I can go and be a friend, a shoulder to cry on. I can make myself available. There's lots of things we can do in just acting like Christ. And that often opens up the door for the next part of witnessing, which is maybe you get an opportunity to share something that God is doing in your life. Which then hopefully by the end, I'm praying that God gives us opportunity after opportunity to actually just share the good news, which is the gospel, the saving power of Jesus Christ and what he did for you and for me and for everyone. And all we have to do is believe and receive it. And that's incredible. So anyhow, I'm going to get stuck on just map. I do have other things to preach. And prayer. So we're going to pray each week. And the prayer, again, simple. And I'll help you with little crafted prayers too, because I know some people are just stuck because they don't know. We'll we'll update and kind of help that. But simple prayers like praying for yourself for boldness and praying for the person you're going to reach out to, for them to have a heart that receives it and for them to be open to the truth of Jesus. Right? Something I learned from Chris Puhatch just recently was that uh, he said, you know, you know, evangelizing isn't, he didn't say it exactly like this, but evangelizing wasn't even just for the lost. It's just really preaching the good news. While Christians need the good news, preach to them just as much as the lost, I find. Right? So, so that's, we're, maybe we're praying for a Christian brother or sister that really needs to hear the good news of Jesus, that he's with them because they feel alone and isolated. Then pray that they would be open for that, right? So you could just do something as simple as, Lord, today I pray for a filling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, today I pray that you would give me boldness the way you did your disciples when you called them and sent them out. And then, Lord, I pray for my friend. I pray, Lord, that you would meet with them, that your spirit would meet with them, that you would soften their heart, that they'd be open to whatever it is that you want to do in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Simple, yet effective. God loves prayers like that. All right. So along with this, we're also going to be doing um, a passage of the week. We'll be sending that out so you can do the map challenge with your friends, family, kids, by yourself, however you want. I would just encourage you to do it. Let's have fun over the summer, right? Let's give the Lord margin in our lives to continue to grow in the good news. Um, and we'll be sending out the passage of the week for those who want to follow along. We will be going at turtle pace slow for the most part, um, or, or we'll go fast. I mean, I guess depending on who you are, but... Anyways, the passage of the week will just give you, this is what we're preaching on, and if you want to go and read it for yourself and study it for yourself and see what God wants to say to you, I find that always brings whatever we're talking about to another level, right? Because then the Lord, he's going to have his own message to you, and that's going to be great. All right, so moving on to um, uh, the sermon series now. We're going to get to Matthew, and to start, we're going to start by talking a little bit about the history of the book, history lesson for all you students out there. Isn't that a wonderful thing to hear? And the reliability of the text. Now, oh, sorry, I'm having back spasms. We're all good. Lord gives you what you need, right? Give me one second. Now, you might be rolling your eyes when I say history and reliability of the text because you might say, I already believe that. You don't need to give me the history. I can just read the, I can read, pick this book up, read Matthew for itself, and I already believe what's in there, and it's fine. And you know what? If that's where you're at, awesome. Keep that faith going. That is treasured. 
Uh, but but the, the, the issue that we're running into these days is, you know, we were raised in a Western world where, for the most part, even when I was a kid now, we were also raised in Kleefeld for a lot of it. Um, so there everyone was a Christian, basically. I think everyone knew about Jesus and the gospel, and everyone was fairly good for the most part, even though I was a rebel and was bad. You get what I'm saying, though. We all had a shared belief system, even if we didn't follow it and live it out. But that shared belief system isn't the case anymore. You can't just assume, even with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you cannot assume what people believe anymore. And I'm going to give you some pretty horrifying quotes in just a moment, uh, because there are attacks coming against Christianity, and uh, Pastor Ray highlighted a bit of that last week, but there are attacks coming from from uh, outside these walls and from even within the walls uh, against the, the Christian belief system. Uh, because, and, and you know what, we shouldn't be surprised. Paul himself said the message of the cross is foolishness. He also said it's a stumbling block to those who are perishing, right? It, it's a cause of offense to those who don't know Jesus. Now you might say, well, then shouldn't we try to soften what's in here? No, not our job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw men to repentance. It's his job to convict, and he'll do, he'll do that. So anyhow, history, reliability of the gospel of Matthew. Uh, let's start. Questions are being raised right now about the reliability of the word, and many Christians have even recorded or resorted to making statements about the Bible, such as this. So you'll see a bunch of them. Never mind. You'll see a bunch of them right here. History and reliability. Accusations. Uh, not re- the Bible's not reliable. Uh, it's outdated. Too hard to understand. Uh, it's offensive. Uh, that's one of their, full of myth. It's, it's legend. Uh, one gentleman, one quote I read just uh, yesterday, he was saying the Gospels were written so many decades after Jesus lived that no eyewitnesses were still around. So you can't, it has no historical reliability. So you hear statements like this, and what does it do? It plants seeds of doubt. And you'll hear it from smart Smart uh, leaders, I mean Richard Dawkins, he's an atheist, so you hear him say some of this stuff, but now you're hearing it from uh, Christian authors and professors and pastors even uh, saying the same things. And it begins, you know, as seeds, but those seeds, if we don't know how to reject them properly, those can often turn into doubt that can grow and and sometimes steer us in the wrong direction. So I'll read you one quote here. A quote from a popular author and a professor of biblical studies at Eastern Universities in St. David's, Pennsylvania. His name is Peter Entz. Uh, You'd think he lived around here, wouldn't you, with that name? Yeah, but he doesn't. This is what he says. This is a quote um, that I'm reading here. Likewise, Entz is pushing back. First, they're talking about Rob Bell and what he did for hell. Now they're saying Entz, uh, what's being quoted here, he's doing what Rob Bell did for hell, erasing hell, with the Bible. This is a biblical, uh, he's a Bible uh, prof. So, moving forward. Ends is pushing back against another core historical tenet of the Christian faith. Our belief about Scripture, what it is and what it does. The Bible isn't doing what we think he... And now this is where he begins speaking. The Bible isn't doing what we think it's doing, he argues. It doesn't provide basically reliable historical accounts. Instead, it's often filled with myth and rewritten stories. It doesn't provide consistent theological instruction about, say, the character of God... And it doesn't provide clear teaching about how to live, ethics, morality, and Christian living. Although Christians have generally believed these things about Scripture, Enns contends that scholars now know they simply aren't true. And when Christians hold, try to hold on to such beliefs, it only leads to fear, stress, anxiety, and infighting. Those are dangerous words. And that's coming from within the Western church. That's not from outside. Richard Dawkins, I understand when he says things like that. It makes sense. 
right? It makes sense that an atheist that doesn't love God uh, would say things like that. But this is coming from within the church. And these attacks, we're hearing more and more of, you know, stories of people deconstructing their faith or questioning things in the word and not knowing what is true and what is not and all that kind of stuff. And it's a sad thing. And some even argue that the God of the Old Testament was cruel and genocidal. And that, uh, that Jesus actually kind of replaces that God in some sense. And so, you know, like they go to all sorts of weird places on this. Now, it is important to realize uh, the, the gospel of Matthew is actually all about Jesus. So they would say Jesus first, um, Jesus first, the Bible second. You'll hear, hear things like that being said in these kind of movements. All right, but Jesus actually said a lot of outrageous things. I listed off a few here, but I didn't even list off all the most outrageous ones because he said even more outrageous things than this. And I'm just taken from the Gospels. And so he said things like being angry with your brother, well, that's like murder. He actually says, you call someone a fool, you're endangering endangering yourself of the fires of hell. He said, if you lust, it's the same as committing adultery. If your eye causes you to sin, it's better for you to gouge it out. He says, many will say to, to him, Lord, Lord, but they won't actually enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I didn't even start talking about what he said about um, hating your mother or father more than, or, or if, if you don't hate your mother and father, brother and sister, um, then you cannot follow me. Like, he says some things that are very hard for us as believers to swallow. And our reaction to this shouldn't be to try to explain it away or to throw those parts of the Bible out. Uh, we have to have a different reaction. I actually believe that there is there is a way to make sense of this entire book because God, it is God's infallible word. And there is a way, and it's by his spirit. We're going to talk about that in one moment. Uh, important ways that we can understand scripture. But just so you know, as, as I've raised a bunch of questions here and you're saying, I hope you're going to address all of those because those, those are hard sayings. Well, I will say throughout the series, we are going to address those and the other ones. We are. Uh, we will because you're going to get to see God's heart. And also, I think I'll just give you one clue. I think in the West because things have been so good for so long, we don't understand how bad sin actually is. We actually have a very casual nature towards sin and towards sin in our own lives and towards sin in the world. And we don't see it as bad as, let's say, God does. And that's part of what we actually need to grow in is that fear of the Lord and learning to come to him on his own terms, which I'm going to get to now. Four keys for understanding scripture. So you'll see three of them up there now. First one is, the Holy Spirit. Yes, you absolutely need the Holy Spirit to understand Scripture. There are, of course, there's going to be things in here that you don't understand because it was written to a different culture and a different time in different languages, has been translated. Um, plus, it was the God of the universe. He, even, the, even the hearers that saw him face to face with Jesus, Jesus would speak in parables and they often didn't know what he was saying, <laughs> right? So even the ones that were there for the first-hand account didn't often understand. And that's why it's important that we need the Holy Spirit. Let me read you a passage. Yet among the mature, we do, not, or, or we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age we are, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So what is he saying there? He's saying they had the scriptures. The scribes did, the Pharisees did, the devil did. 
the people of the day had the scriptures and what, what they did to Jesus, had they been able to just read it and understand it with their human fleshy eyes, regardless of how smart and how trained they are, even in the Bible, if they could have done it and, and studied it and seen it for themselves, they never would have crucified Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying because they would have seen what was, what was going on, but they didn't see. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that brings this book to life, that explains what it means and helps you apply it in your life. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's wonderful because I love uh, Bible, Bible scholarship is wonderful. I absolutely love it. I spend lots of time studying. I study and I'm also called to teach. It's part of my job. So I want to study to be able to teach well and to, and to be accurate in what I'm saying. Yes, it's very good. But you know what I love? Even that I have to do by the Spirit. But what about those that don't feel like they can read and absorb information and they're not sure where to go and what's their hope? And you know, I read the Bible and it's hard to understand. You know what you do? You pray for the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten your heart and he will. You should read my first Bible. No, I wouldn't let you because I had all sorts of things written in the, in the margins. I gave it to my son. My first Bible had question marks written all over it. I'd be reading and I just kept reading through front to back. Lord, why is this in your Bible? What does this mean? Doesn't this contradict this over here? Had all sorts of questions. But then I'd be saying, Lord, I can't figure it out. Your spirit has to do it. And as I kept reading through the Bible, I started seeing all of these stories converging into one. And suddenly it was one narrative. It was one narrative and it was one big story. And there was, and everything just began to make sense. Why is that? Because I was so smart? No, because the spirit, I'll go on. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? None of you know what I'm thinking right now. Actually, some of you might. I was thinking cat, just to see if you would catch it. But I was actually thinking cat. If you got it, wow. But other, the point is, none of you know what I'm thinking normally. Uh, now you do. But uh, unless I tell you why. Because only my spirit knows what I'm thinking. Likewise, what it says here is, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Amen? Amen. We have the greatest teacher of all time and he's willing to teach you and me. In John, Jesus said he's going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has spoken to you. The Holy Spirit. When you need it, he's going to do it. Now, I will encourage you to memorize and to get in here and study. Why? So you have something for him to bring to mind and for him to interpret and share his truth to you in. If you're not spending any time in here, it's going to be a lot harder for him to speak his truth to you and for you to know it's him speaking. Spend your time in here. Carve your day Find time, memorize. I love memorizing because then you can take it with you wherever you go. That's, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of addicted to the whole memorization thing now. Anyways, uh, we'll move forward. Second key here. Second key, oh, I didn't want to move forward. Oops, because I have them all up there. Did I take it off? There it is. Yep, second key is coming to God in his terms. The truth of the matter is we don't get to define who God is. As you are reading through the scriptures, you might say, that's hard. Why would God have written it that way? Why would, oh, why would they have done it this way? Or what does this mean? And all those questions. When I had those questions, uh, remember what Job, when all those things went wrong for Job and Job's wife told Job, just curse God and die, right? And Job's response, if I accept good from the Lord, will I not also accept bad? What an incredible statement, a place to get to. I want to get to that place in my own heart. But it's said in Job, I think it's 121, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay, so we have to be very careful as we read through here that we don't charge God with wrongdoing. Just because I don't understand something doesn't make it wrong. 
That's, I have learned that throughout life so many times. There's so many things that I thought I misunderstood in here or that I misunderstood within my marriage or within a relationship that I had where when we did a little bit of digging, guess what we found out? I was wrong. So why would we assume because we can't understand everything in here that, that the problem must be in here? This is the infallible word of God. We come to him on his terms. If the Bible says, if, if God of the universe says, I am love, I am love, So the word love that we get, our understanding of it is simply a reflection of a mere image of who God is. Well, if he is love, not just the source of love, but if he is love, then who defines love? Us or him? Do we define God? No. That's what I mean by coming to God in his terms. And that really leads into the next one, which is because to do this, we have to have humility. These are important keys to understanding Scripture. You want to understand Scripture, you approach it by, by recognizing your need for the Holy Spirit to ask Him. That's, remember last time I preached, I talked about that Romans picture? Where did that come from? Lord, I'm having a hard time. I need to know how to explain. How do I explain works versus grace and how this works together? And I said, I can't figure it out. I'm not smart enough. Lord, you show me. Instantly, I get a picture that works. Now, it doesn't always happen instantly. Sometimes it takes months of asking Him, and He begins to bring revelation that way. Sometimes He points me to a book. Or to a person to ask. There's lots of ways we learn. Not just with thoughts or not just by another verse. There's lots of ways. But I let his spirit instruct me and let his spirit lead me. And let him teach me. Because he is the best teacher and he understands this better than everyone. They're his thoughts. All right. So then that's coming to God in his terms. And we need humility. Absolutely, yes. The Bible is full of difficult passages. But we approach it with humility. If there is a mistake, it's not in God's hands. It's on us. And our understanding. And we have to recognize my understanding of what is right and wrong is influenced by this. Yes, it is. Absolutely. This is my moral code. But it's also influenced by the culture that I was raised in. Just like they were influenced in here by the culture they were raised in. And that's true of all human beings. And that's why you can go into different parts of the world and we have different values. Why? Because we're influenced by the culture. So we have to keep that in mind sometimes that we're not trying to define this through our current cultural lens. And I see that happening in the world more and more and more that we're trying to define the Bible through the culture instead of trying to take the Bible and apply it into the culture. Dangerous. All right, and lastly, of course we keep these things in balance with historical context and reliability of what we're reading, which leads me on to historical reliability. Wow. There we go. Uh, when is it written? Because when is it written is important. There's lots of things that we call uh, really historical or historically reliable that they only have one or two texts 500 to 1,000 years after the actual event, and we would teach it in history class as historically reliable. Do you know that? Interesting. So the closer something is written, like the closer something is, is written to the actual event, the more reliable it is. The reason for that is eyewitnesses. If, you know, if right now I died and then came back to life, or let's say right now I just died. I fell over and died. This back spasm turned into something else, fell over, died. Good for me, really awkward and bad for all the rest of you. But let's say the, the ones in here, they decided to, you know, say that I, or, or someone in here, maybe it's John. John decides to go and start spreading that I raised from the dead. When he starts writing a book, because he's going to write a book on how Stephen died. We all saw that, but John says, I raised from the dead. Well, what do you think is going to happen when he starts doing that? There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people that are all helping with the service. Um, just so you know, for the rules. But, but you would have nine other people that would say, no, he didn't. He died, yes, and it was tragic, but he did not rise from the dead. 
That's hogwash. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Right? So it wouldn't work. So the closer we are to the event, the harder it is to actually present anything that was false or legend, that idea that it's myth or legend. The further you get away from the actual event, the easier that becomes. So let's look at just the book of Matthew itself. And uh, I believe that it was written between 50 and 60 AD. I think the, the evidence that I've read seems to really make a strong case based on even Ir Ir Irenaeus, uh, who's an early church father, uh, who was um, mentored by Polycarp, who was mentored by the Apostle John. So uh, he makes some mentioning about it was written during a time when Peter and Paul were in Rome, which kind of dates it in between those times. Other scholars disagree and say it was, it was written later, but everyone can pretty much other than maybe a couple of extremists, can agree it was written between 50 and 70 AD. That means within 17 to 37 years after the events, the death and resurrection, these were already in, in circulation. So the church was already using them. That means eyewitnesses were still alive. This is very important for the reliability of our text. Because if you have, you know, these Christians are going out and they're saying all sorts of things like, ah, oh, Jesus, Jesus was a real person and he wasn't, someone would say, uh, there was no Jesus, there was no Pontius Pilate, there was no crucifixion, let alone a resurrection. There was no guy doing miracles, and yet you actually don't find that type of opposition. So scholars date the writing of Matthew between the 50, early or late 50s and early 60s in the first century. Others do, like I said, go up to the late 70s. Um, but let's move on to the next piece. So that's important for us to know. Sorry, historical reliability, there it is. Uh, the next one here is manuscripts found, over or 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament alone. 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament alone with an astounding 2.6 million pages. Wild. Like the Bible stands alone in, as, a historical, as a historical text. And I love it that God made it that way because we may need lots of things. Of, you know, we have lots of room for faith in our lives. Absolutely, yes. Going through hard times, you have to have faith that God's going to carry you through. Absolutely, yes. But the reliability of this book, you hardly need faith for. It's just fact. It's just, it is what it is. You look at the evidence and you're like, oh, wow. Uh, an astounding 2.6 million pages. Some of the manuscripts are small and fragmentary, but the average size of a New Testament manuscript, right, 5,800 Greek manuscripts, the average size of those are 450 pages long. Wow, that's incredible. And then you can add to that, there's a whole bunch, tens of thousands of other manuscripts that are translated into other languages, um, like uh, Coptic, Syriac, Armenian, uh, and Latin, all within the, the bunch of hundreds of years there, okay? So anyhow, this is very important because it speaks volumes towards the reliability of what's written. We can trust what we hear. And that brings me to the next point, which I love, because you might say, well, what about other people? Were they speaking against that? Did I have, what's, oh, yeah, it's all on there. Ow, shouldn't have turned. All right, uh, non-Christians, evidence from ta uh, Tacitus, Nero Fasten, these are all quotes that are from these different people. I'm just going to read you one quote from each. Uh, this is quotes from non-Christian historians that back up the claims of what we're hearing here. Uh, Nero fasts the guilt on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. As you can see, he was not a Christian. Christus, from whom the name had the origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of Pontius Pilate and most mischievous superstition. By the way, some people try to throw shade on that and they say there's no historical record of Pontius Pilate. There is, and it's not just in the Bible. There is, and it's not just in the Bible. Uh, so the next one, evidence from Josephus. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. 
For he wrought surprising feats, he was the Christ. When Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared, restored to life, and the tribe of Christians has not disappeared. Wow, it sounds like non-Christians. I don't know why that guy is not a Christian. That doesn't even make sense. Uh, Evidence from the Babylonian Talmud. On the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hanged. Uh, For 40 days after the execution took place, a herald cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apathy. Interesting that they call it sorcery, but why were they accusing him of sorcery? Because he was doing miracles. He's doing miracles. They were seeing miracles, so they call it witchcraft or sorcery. Evidence from Lucian, the Christians worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. It was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted and deny the uh, gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage. Again, uh, talking about a miracle worker and lived a life after his laws. As you can see, the Bible, the book of Matthew in particular, the Gospels, these are some of the most historically accurate and, and trustworthy documents that we have in existence, in human existence. And they form what we call our Bible, right? They're some of the most trustworthy artifacts in all human history. So God made sure his word would not only survive persecution and famine and earthquake and fire, right? It would also, it would also pass the history test of how we can see the reliability of a text. It passes every single test. So let's, uh, let's bring, this, uh, bring this towards the close now. History of Matthew. I'll just give a brief history here and then we're going to do our, our um, genealogy. Matthew, who wrote the gospel? Matthew did. It was written in Greek, although there are some references to fragments of it being also written in Hebrew. Uh, most scholars agree it was written in Greek. Right? So that was, that's correct. Matthew was one of four evangelists. Evangelion, uh, the Greek word just means a spreader of the good news, spreader of the gospel. So an evangelist is just someone who teaches the good, the good news. So you can actually evangelize a saved person too. You can. I can just teach you the good news and I'm evangelizing. So Matthew was one of four evangelists. Uh, but we also want to go and make, uh, we also want to go and preach the good news to non-Christians. That's really where we want to go. We want to reach those, those lost for him. Uh, Matthew was also known as Levi. It's not a misprint. He had two names, whether it was part of the same name or a different name in different languages. They're not totally sure, but he was Matthew and Levi. He was both uh, called two names. He was a tax collector before Jesus called him, and this is important. This is important um, because look at this. The Bible says we're all sinners, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standards. And yet, and yet, the word sinner in, in their time was usually reserved for the worst of the worst like tax collectors. That word sinner. So the Bible says all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. And in the Jewish days, if you were a tax collector, that was just the label that you got, you got hung around your neck. You are a sinner, right? Jesus finds him in Matthew 9, 9. He sees a, na- a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And what does he say? Follow me. He sees the worst of the worst in his time, a betrayer of the people. Everyone hated him for who he was. Jesus sees him for who he was, points at him and says, follow me. And it says, Matthew got up and followed him. Tax collectors were sinners by trade, lying and cheating. Uh, they were hated by all. But after Jesus calls him, Matthew 9, 11, uh, it says Matthew holds a, a gathering at his house and he invites Jesus to come over there. And what's, ha- what's happening? Well, the religious leaders, they're mad at him. They're mad. What are you doing? This man eats with sinners. What is he talking about? This man's going to eat with a tax collector? 
They betray the people. They're working for Rome. They're not even a real Jew anymore. And Jesus, Jesus on hearing this says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I came not to call the righteous who think they're already good enough, but I came to call sinners. Let that sink in. The good news. Remember, we said the gospels are the good news. This is the good news of God. Friends, brothers and sisters, friends, maybe you don't know God yet. The good news is it's for you and it's for me. It's for all people. It is very important. I think it's, I think it's saying something that, the, that Jesus goes to Matthew, that he's the first of four authors, that he's the first of the evangelists. He's the first. Matthew, the tax collector. The worst of the worst. Jesus loved Matthew just as he was. He called him as he was and he's beckoning each one of us to come just as we are. I don't care what sin is in your life. I mean, I care. But you think it disqualifies you. It doesn't disqualify you. It doesn't disqualify you. Jesus beckons us the same way and he says, son, daughter, come follow me. Come follow me. It's an invitation. I think that's incredible. This is good news. All right. Matthew 1, genealogy. I'll just read. I'm not, maybe I won't even read through it for the sake of time. You can read through it. I'll highlight a few. So uh, Genesis 1 says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah and by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Amidadab, and Amidadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Aren't you loving this? Keep up. Keep up. And David, this is the word of God here at church. And David was the father of Solomon, uh, of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jech. Jeconiah and brothers, and at the time the deportation to Babylon, and after, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Babel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, we're almost done, the husband of Mary, who of, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, who is called the Christ, the anointed one, who came to save us from our sins. This is good news already in the genealogy, but it gets better. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. 14, 14, 14. Now, pause. Wait a minute. Some people say, what about the genealogy in Luke? Isn't it different? And when I did a study on the genealogy of Jesus, everything that he trapped, he actually, there's missing names. Doesn't that mean now that this Bible is fallible? Nope, it doesn't. It just means you're not fully understanding it. This is where context is important. Genesis 1.17 gives us a clue of what's going on here. What they did, remember, we have printing presses, and better than that, we have Google. So if I want to see what, uh, what names were missed out on the, on the genealogy, Google, what names were missed out in the Matthew 1 genealogy, it'll tell you. 
They didn't have that. Or what names were all in that genealogy? They didn't have that. So they had to memorize everything, kind of like we're going to be doing with our map challenge, right? Eh? Yeah, memorize. So they memorized everything. So what they did is they would often take important things. So here, there were three important chunks of time. Right? That's what they were doing. And what he did is he attached a number to them so they could remember. There were 14 names, 14 names, 14 names. So they included all the important ones that you needed to know, but they omitted some that weren't as important. Does that make sense? That's all. It's not an inaccuracy. It's just so that they could help remind themselves of what was important. The genealogy, the lineage of Jesus was important. And Luke, I'm not going to go into that, but just there's great. I, I included it. By the way, you can download these notes. Uh, they're online. We'll be, we'll be using a lot more of that in the drive-in service because you won't be having PowerPoint. Uh, but these notes are already online. You can go and look at it. You can see the discrepancies between Luke and Matthew. There's no discrepancies. They're chasing different lines that meet in the same place. Okay, so there isn't actually a discrepancy. But here's the good news that I really wanted to focus on. Then we're going to end this thing. So you have a genealogy, 14, 14, 14, to help people remember. You're going to include all the important names, right? So if you had names that were maybe embarrassing... If you had a family tree and you had some embarrassing characters in your family tree uh, and you were told you can only have a limited number of people in your family tree, well, who do you think are the first people you're going to omit? The embarrassing names, right? The ones that aren't appropriate, the ones that are like, ah, I don't ever want to invite you to a family gathering, ever, or see you, which I don't know anyone like that, okay? But, but, but you get, you're, 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 you're trailing the point here. Okay, now look at some of the names that were in there. And this is where I get so excited. The good news. Even in a genealogy. Friends, good news in the genealogy. Look at this. We get to learn something about God. There are five women. Now, you might say, what's so bad about that? Nothing is bad about women at all. They're, they're absolutely wonderful. I'm married to the best woman alive, Lou. Hi, honey. Love you. So, uh, we just had a, an anniversary, actually. 17 years. But uh, moving forward here. So, lineages in biblical times were, chased, were traced through men. So already the fact that you have five women in there is unheard of. That they would put women in there, especially when you're omitting men. You're omitting men, you're adding in women, but not just any women. Now, some of them are pretty saintly, like Mary. Uh, but other than Mary, you have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. You have women, some of them, three of them in there, with very questionable character. And yet you have them mentioned in here. Think about this. Throughout the line, if we would go through, we don't have the time. Throughout that line, I just listed off men. So the lineage of Jesus is made up. It's, comp it's comprised of men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, Gentiles, and Jesus Christ would be Lord and Savior of all. Good news right in the genealogy. Look who he uses. Look at the lines he blesses. He's not looking for you to be Superman or woman. But are you going to be available? That's all he asks for availability. He's made a way. Jesus, Savior of all. All right. This is the uh, practice. We were going to do it together. I, I'll, you know what? Let's do a little bit of the... I'll, I'll, uh, this map challenge here, okay, application, this is online. So this is online right now. You can go download it. It's, it's at the bottom of the notes that I gave. The notes are abbreviated of what we did today. Go there, do the map challenge. We're going to be reminding you on social media. And if I have your phone number, I might annoyingly remind you that way too. Um, so it'll be warned. Uh, but let's do this together. This is going to be fun. But let's just take two minutes 
to get as far as we can on this. And I want you just to write down one thing that you feel like disqualifies you from being used by God. He could never use you because of what? Write that down. Or keep it in your mind if you don't have a journal. Now, Jesus, I ask that you would speak to each one of us as we look at that one thing. Maybe it's a dozen things. I don't know. Maybe we don't have time. We're not smart enough. We're not spiritual enough. We don't spend enough time in prayer. We have a pornography addiction. We have uh, an alcohol addiction. We have depression. We have anxiety. We have other bondages. We have kids that have gone wayward. We're not smart enough. We don't know enough of the Bible. But now we submit all these things to you. We recognize that the good news says that you used, you used men, women, adulterers, prostitutes, murderers, heroes, and Gentiles. You are Savior of all. Lord, what do you want to say to each one of us right now about our weaknesses and your purposes in our lives? I'm immediately reminded of the parable of the talents. One got five, one got two, and another, he gave one. And I won't go through the whole parable, but it says the ones with five and two immediately went out and they began to invest their talents. See, nowhere did Jesus ever expect a two-talented person to do what a five-talented person can do. It doesn't actually matter. His expectation was just that whatever he entrusted to them, whatever gifts, no matter how broken they were, no matter how imperfect, that they would take those gifts and go and invest in the kingdom. That they would invest them in his kingdom so that when he came back, he would have what was his with some interest. Lord, today we recognize even with this map challenge, this is just one step towards us becoming a people who take the Great Commission seriously. We want to get your word in our hearts. Those Beatitudes, the Great Commission, we want to get your word in our hearts, Lord. But we want to live lives. You've given us talents and abilities no matter who we are. And now we are committing our way to stepping out to apply, to pick one person. Today we want to pick one person that we can text, email, or call to give an encouraging word. Lord, would your spirit fill us? Would you lead us? That we could be a part of your great commission. That we could be a part of getting this area, our area, this church and these people in this, in this region ready for when you come back. When you come back, Lord, we want to be found in the fields working on your harvest, doing what pleases you. So we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your leading and guiding. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.